Today begins a series called The Real You. The Real You. This is a series about identity. Finding your identity in Christ. The series is going to go from now up until Easter Sunday morning. The Real You. Today, I want to focus on the title of today's message is Spiritual Identity Theft. Spiritual Identity Theft. Are you being robbed? I don't think I need to say too much today. A few years ago, I might have had to spend a lot of time explaining what I mean by identity theft. I think it's fairly well publicized today that we have a a pervasive issue in our country and around the world, in the Western culture in particular, with identity theft. It used to be simple things like people stealing calling card numbers. Now, given technology, the vast percentage of identity theft is being done how? With the Internet. It's cyber theft, isn't it? But it's still a major problem. The reality is that unlike the old days, um, now with uh, people aren't relying on fingerprints for identity, relying on numbers, digits, uh, data that can unfortunately be taken by people, social security numbers, bank account numbers, credit card numbers, telephone numbers, and other valuable identification data. And if it's taken and stolen, it can be used by someone for their own personal benefit at your expense. And you and I become the victims. Did you know that in 2013, interesting statistic, 2013, 23% of all households had experienced identity theft, one kind or the other. And I thought it might just be a quick, interesting survey, unofficial and unscientific. How many of you have had an issue with identity, either a bank account, charges to credit cards, uh, maybe they wiped you out, something? How many of you have? That looks to me like maybe 75% here. Unbelievable. I have a very close friend who helps us in a lot of our graphic design for even like the, the image that we use for this uh, series. That image right down there, there, he was one who designed that. Anyway, a good friend of mine lives in Nashville. He just got back from uh, two weeks in Thailand of doing missionary work and got back, and his entire commercial and personal accounts were wiped out. His computer with all kinds of valuable data had been totally uh, ransacked. He still hasn't figured out you know, how to make it all right. Do you know what I'm saying? It's, it, and, and thank God, you know, a lot of banks and financial institutions today are, are covering those things and helping you. But just the distraction, the hassle of dealing with that is terrible, isn't it? So if you've been through it, as many of you raised your hands, you know. I saw a commercial not too long ago that was talking about, you know, some new security, you know, buy this and, you know, protect your identity and this kinds of products. Um, And I thought that their tagline for the commercial was very interesting. This is what they said. They said, buy our product and let us help you get your life back. I thought, wow, that's a pretty big claim. You know, let us help you get your life back. It's amazing that people feel after having their identity robbed, they literally feel that their life has been taken away from them. Now, we know different. Uh, My friend's going to make it. He'll figure it out. And most of us have also figured it out. 
There's some very important things that I want to parallel from the concept of identity theft that happens in the financial and the natural world to the spiritual reality of identity theft. I believe that spiritual identity theft is far worse than even financial identity theft. Here's the problem. Our lives are being disturbed and disrupted by an inability to think godly thoughts about ourselves. When I use the term identity and spiritual identity or identity, let me make sure you know what I mean. When I speak of identity, I mean how do you view yourself? How do you feel about yourself? What is your self-image, your view of me? Did you know how important that is? Your spiritual identity, how you feel about yourself, affects everything in your life. It affects more than you can probably even imagine. Your spiritual identity is invaluable. Why? A couple of reasons. First of all, because your identity speaks to you as God's creation, his masterpiece. You all know the scripture in Ephesians 3.20? It's one of my favorites. One translation simply puts it this simply. You are God's masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece. By the way, the the Greek word there for masterpiece or uh, workmanship uh, is the word, some translations use workmanship. The word there is poema. You can probably guess what English word we get from that, can't you? Because you're so bright. Poem. It is a piece of art. You, God says, you, Christian, you are God's masterpiece. What is a masterpiece? The dictionary says a masterpiece is a person's greatest work of art. It is the consummate example of skill or excellence. Some of us have trouble even thinking that way about ourselves. To think of ourselves as God's greatest product and work, it's hard for us to get our heads around that, isn't it? And the reason is because many times our identity has been stolen. There's another reason, and that's because your identity, now listen carefully to me, your identity determines your destiny. Your identity will determine your destiny. These two things, destiny and identity, are inherently linked. What do we mean when we say destiny? We mean the divine purpose for your life. Did you know that God has a purpose for your life, something for you to do, something to fulfill? And for those of us who have arrived at that discovery, it's not just a matter about being saved and being born again and having our fire insurance paid up. It's a matter of finding out what is God's plan and purpose for my life and how can I fulfill my destiny while I'm here on this planet? I want to be what God wants me to be. I want to affect the people's lives. It doesn't matter whether it's impressive to man. It doesn't matter whether your net worth is this or that. What matters is what is your destiny and will you fulfill it? That's what matters. Your identity will determine your destiny. Identity is a powerful thing. Before you can walk out your destiny, you have to know who you are. You have to know the, what I call the real you. 
Not the fake you. Not the you that we have worn and shown everybody. But the real you. Who is the real you? What do you think the real you is? Some of us have struggled so long to figure it out. We still are a little bit even conflicted about what the real you is. We're like, I don't really know. I thought I was... Your identity and your destiny are interlocked. You can't separate them. So what I'm trying to tell you today is that one reason why spiritual identity is invaluable to have straight is because your identity determines your destiny. Another reason is because your choices in life are based on your identity. You never thought about it. The choices, the decisions that you make daily, weekly, annually, what you're going to do, what job you're going to take, are you going to go to school or not go to school? All these are decisions and choices that are connected to your identity. You may not have thought about it that way, but they are. See if I can give you an example. Someone who has been raised in an environment of condemnation and performance orientation and told from the time that they were just a little tot, you're really stupid. You'll never learn anything. You really don't, you know, you're not like your sister or someone else. Comparisons and those kinds of talk. That person gets to a point in life where they're starting to make life decisions and their identity, how they think about themselves, that's greatly formed by what parents and siblings, family, teachers, others have put on us. They put this on us. And unfortunately, many times, most of the time, to be honest, it's not biblical. It doesn't line up with God's view. And so we take on these garments, these T-shirts, and we wear these T-shirts. You know, T-shirts today, you rarely ever see just a plain T-shirt. They always have what? Some insignia or logo or brand on it. Whatever you're pushing or is your deal, okay? What was your say, Corey? If you don't drive a, if you don't drive a seventy Nova, you wouldn't understand. That's why I don't understand. I'm, that was easy, wasn't it? No wonder I don't understand. All right. T-shirts have um, usually an identity connected to them. What the problem is is we get T-shirts given to us through life, and we wear them. And it says something about who we are, what we think about ourselves. And we go through life, and that's identity. And maybe your identity is wrapped up in your football team, or maybe your identity is wrapped up in, um, you know, in what you possess, or maybe it's wrapped up in which side of town you live on. All that junk is identity, and they're just T-shirts. But when we come to Christ, we have to learn to remove the shirt and put on the new garments of knowing who we are in Christ and having an identity that's clear that affects decisions we make. If you were raised with, an, with a mindset with a T-shirt that said, I'm stupid, do you think that might affect whether or not you would apply for college? There was a boy that grew up in inner city Detroit. Poor, single parent, Struggled on all 
you know, every kind of federal assistance program there was, they had to rely upon that. And from the time that he was young and in school, he was told, you really can't learn. You have learning deficiencies. He actually, his nickname was Dummy. Dummy. Until he got to a little bit older and he, his mother put him in some kind of a special learning program. And he had an instructor that gave him goals and said, you can learn to read. And he started reading. He started reading so well, he was reading more than all of his peers. And later, after school, he became a neurosurgeon. A world-renowned African-American neurosurgeon from the hood of Detroit who today is becoming very well known. This isn't a political statement, it's simply a truth. Read his book. Dr. Ben Carson is that guy. Do you know what made the difference in Ben Carson's life? Identity change. Instead, he had the choice. He could either live with the dummy, being the dummy, or he could say, God's made me to be something else. Do you see the identity and the destiny connection? The same thing happens to you and to me. Now, quickly, I want to um, make a statement and then support it. Spiritual identity theft is pervasive. It is common. Happens all the time. What you may not realize is how it happens. The first statement I would make is the fact that the devil himself, Satan himself, our adversary, is committed to robbing people's identity. Doesn't the scripture tell us, John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to what? Still kill, destroy. How many of you think that that stealing, the thievery of Satan, could possibly include your identity? I promise you it does. In fact, he doesn't even need to rob you from some other stuff. If he can rob you of your identity, of who you think that you are, he doesn't even have to mess with your finances because your finances will be ruined. He doesn't even have to mess with your kids because you won't be able to parent them correctly. He won't be able to mess with other things in your life because he's got your identity. If he's got your identity robbed and stolen, he controls you and your destiny. And he's a thief. It is his nature. He's always been a thief. He always will be a thief. The devil's a liar. He's a deceiver. And he's a thief. And he's out to steal and rob from you, your children, your grandchildren, and your friends, their identity. Not only the devil, people can rob your identity. Many of you have experienced it. People have told you stuff. And they're literally trying to put a t-shirt on you and take away your identity or give you a false one. I believe God wants us to challenge this idea and to find who the real you is. Now, I want to give you the remaining 15 minutes that I have some biblical examples. So I've, hopefully I've made a case for the fact that we have spiritual theft going on, identity theft. Now, I just want to give you some biblical examples. The most obvious, I may not have time for all of them, but the most obvious one that comes to my mind is immediately the example of Esau and Jacob. How many of y'all remember the story? Hmm? 
Some of you have some Sunday school background. Or maybe some of you have actually read the Bible that we hold, right? That's, that would be a novel thing, wouldn't it, for us? Go back and try Genesis 25. I'm just kidding you. Genesis chapter 25, verses 27 through 32. May I read it to you? And, and I'll just quickly remind you of the context. Jacob and Esau are brothers, and they were born uh, in rapid fashion. And Esau was the rightful heir. Okay, So he's the rightful heir, firstborn son. With that came certain privileges, benefits, um, status to being the firstborn son, right? All right, now listen to the scripture, beginning verse 27. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man, a man's man, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, anybody here like wild game? It's cooked right, I do. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob more. And once when Jacob, being the chef that he was, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished, and he said to Jacob, Quick, let me have some of that stew. I'm from Texas, and so I always think about this being chilly. I don't know that it was chili, but for me, I, I, red stew. There's nothing that can be but chili. Come on, man. So he said, give me some of that chili. I'm famished. And Jacob replied, listen to Jacob, the deceiver, the supplanter, always had an angle. Jacob says, okay, first, sell me your birthright. Now, I know this is real hard to get our heads around. Birthright bowl of chili. <laughs> you know, this is really hard story for us to get. Chili birthright. <laughs> okay, first sell me your birthright. And Esau said, look, man, I'm about to die. You do not know how hungry I am. Kind of like I was when I had curry for breakfast, lunch, dinner. If you offered me curry, I'd say, would someone please give me something other than curry? And I love Indian food, but I didn't want any curry. But I was hungry for something other than curry. He said, he caught him at a weak moment. Caught him at a weak moment. He said, I'll tell you what. He said, I'm about to die. He said, what good is my birthright to me now? What good is that now if I die? Jacob said, make me a promise. Swear it to me first. Can you see him? He's probably holding that chili. He's probably going, he's probably going like that. Make me a promise. I'll give you some chili. What happened? He made the deal. It says, Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some stew, and he ate and he drank, and then he got up and left. And listen to the last part of verse 34. So Esau despised his birthright. He despised his birthright. That tells it all. In other words, 
he despised, he had an attitude about his identity that allowed it to actually be traded for a bowl of chili. It's not the issue of the chili. It's not the issue. It's, it, it, I know there was relational dynamics going on there between these siblings, but the point is it was Esau's attitude about his birthright, his attitude about who he was, his, his lack of honor, respect, and value for his identity that got him in this mess. He despised it. In a weak moment, he traded his identity for a bowl of chili. When we do not value our identity, it can be stolen. That's the moment that the enemy says, oh, they're at a weak moment. <laughs> Slips in, begins to tell you lies about yourself, and literally robs us of our birthright in God. Taken right out from under our own eyes, just like Esau. What a tragedy. This has to be one of the most tragic stories we have in the Bible. There's another example. It won't take long to tell, but just to remind you. The example of Moses. I'm not going to go back and read the text. We're told the story of Exodus in Exodus 3 and 4. We know who Moses was. We know how he grew up in Egypt. We knew God had a destiny for his life. But he, always, he, never, he had a lot of trouble getting a hold of his destiny. And yeah, murder will kind of take you on a bit of a detour, won't it? Yeah. So he had an anger problem. It was his terminal tendency. He had an anger problem. He took a long way around, spent 40 years back on the backside of the desert in the Midianites, with the Midianites. How many of y'all know that God's a God of a second chance? Hallelujah. He's a God of a second chance. He's a God of a third chance. I don't know what number I'm on. But anyway, he's a God of grace. And he comes to Moses and says, Hope you've learned some things over these 40 years, Moses, and I've got a new proposition for you. You remember that destiny? You remember that calling? I can make it happen. And he called him and recalled him to go and deliver the people of Israel. Do you know, do you remember how Moses responded? Don't remember. How did he respond? <laughs> Me? Little old me? The failure? Moses, the failure? The screw up? And not only that, I can't talk. Everything Moses said and his excuses speak to what? He had his identity stolen. And with it went his destiny. So out of his insecurity, God made it happen by using his brother to be his mouthpiece. And he said, by the way, he said, one of his issues was, well, what am I going to tell the Israelites? And no one's going to follow me. I'm not called to be a leader. I don't know how to lead. And do you know what God said? Listen, when you go and they ask, and they make, if they make any issue, just tell them what? I am sent you. Did you know that our identity must be rooted and grounded in I am? Once you find out who he is, you find out who you are. He said, just tell them, I am sent you. So over the next few weeks, we're going to learn who we are. And I think it's going to minister to you a lot. One more biblical example is David. One quick scripture will do it. David's a great guy. 
Everything was going along pretty good. Wouldn't you agree? Pretty good for David until 2 Samuel chapter 11 and verse 1. In the spring, at the time when kings go to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army, but they, and they destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. What happened when David remained home in Jerusalem instead of being at war where kings are supposed to be? The sin with Bathsheba. Go back and study it. Look at the timing. No mistake. Get the picture. When kings are supposed to be doing what kings do, David said, eh, I don't feel like being king lately. Y'all go. Stayed at home and it became vulnerable. And he literally traded in his destiny through that failure. Do you see how destiny is connected to identity? His identity was what? He was called to be a king. Jesus gives us the wonderful example in John 13, 3. And the scripture simply says this. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God, and he was returning to God. This is the most emphatic statement about Jesus' identity, knowing who he was. He, he knew who he was. How, who was he? He knew that the Father had put all things under his power. He knew that he had come from God, and he knew that he was returning to God. Here's what he knew. He knew where he was from. He knew where he was going. And he, he knew what he was to do. That's something you and I need to figure out. Where we're from. Where we're going. And what we're called to do. And when you know those things, boom! The identity, the masterpiece identity can be stamped clearly in your life and you will Fulfill your destiny in God. What examples we have of those who have sometimes sacrificed their identity, stolen. Remember this. Spiritual identity is common and pervasive. And the question I have for you in closing today is, has your identity been stolen? Are you maybe still wearing T-shirts Representing something other than your God-stamped identity. And over the next few weeks, I hope that you're going to be equipped and built up to know what God says about you. Because this book, that's what our identity must be based upon. Truth. And we're going to reject these lies. And we're going to adopt the truth about the real you. The real Jezreel. The real Kelly, the real Johnny, the real John, the real Ann. We're going to find out and hopefully bury our feet and get rooted in our real you identity in Christ. And it will change the way we live. It's going to change your decision making. It's going to change the way you raise your children. It's going to change your future. It's going to change everything about us. If you lock in on your true identity. I'd like for you to stand to your feet with me, please. The ushers will come, not the ushers, I'm sorry, the prayer workers will come forward and be available for ministry. 
I want to pray with you as we close today. I'd like for you just, if you don't mind, to just bow your heads for a moment. I really believe it's helpful and important for us to respond when we learn something from God's Word. The Bible tells us not to just listen, but to be doers. And I want to ask you this morning a question. Has God been speaking to you, even in this brief time of teaching, about in some way that your identity has been partially, or maybe even completely, robbed and stolen from you? If you recognize today the need to have your identity refreshed, recalibrated, you just raise your hand to God and say, God, I give you permission to help recalibrate my identity. You just raise your hand, put it back down. This is just between you and Him. Amen. If you're here today, you can say, Pastor Bobby, I'm far from God. I've been on the run. I've lost my way. Maybe I never knew my way. But I want to make a decision to refresh my relationship with Jesus Christ today. Would you pray for me? If you're here today and that's your heart cry, would you right now just raise your hand? I just want to pray for you. Raise your hand and just keep it raised if that's your place. I see one hand. Just keep it up. Anyone else? Just raise your hand. Say, today I need to refresh my relationship with Jesus Christ. Anyone else? you raise your hands, I'm going to pray a prayer after I finish praying this prayer. I'd like for you just to come to one of these altar teams, prayer teams. You're also encouraged if you have a need for prayer, personal ministry, healing, help, assistance, you just want someone to agree with you in prayer, that's why these couples are here. They're trained to help you. So please take advantage of that as we close. I'm going to pray for you right now. So if you're here today and you realize that God needs to do some recalibrating in you. Would you receive this prayer right now? Lord, today I pray for every individual here that is acknowledging our need for some kind of clarifying. We need revelation and understanding of who we really are. Lord, many of us have grown up wearing wrong t-shirts Lord I pray that we would be able to get rid of those shirts put on the righteousness of God Father give us spiritual eyes and ears to grow through this series and I pray for those that today whose lives have been rocked by truth and that you touch them that you minister to them you bring them to a closer relationship with you I pray this in Jesus name Amen and amen.